Welcome, uh, I'm Rob Schubert. I'm presenting Practical Measurement System Analysis, which is uh, Gage Arnar, and it's for design specifically. Topics. We're going to cover basics of gauge RNR, um, the gauge RNR calculations, and we're going to cover using R. Um, it's a free program, so everybody could get that. Um, the design gauge RNR, um, we're covering what's called gauge discrimination um, and the pitfalls of gauge RNR, and then we should have some time for discussion. This is me, I'm Rob Schubert, uh, reliability consultant at ACON right now. Previously at Apple as a reliability engineer and Sure, and then uh, Six Sigma Black Belt at Ford. Um, I've done previous presentations for Ascendo reliability, so you can probably look into that. Um, so let's get started. Uh, gauge RNR, what is it? So if we have a simple bathroom scale, and the measurements are listed in half a pound. Does that mean it's plus or minus a quarter of a pound? What's, what does that exactly mean? Um, if, what if there's an operator effect? How do you quantify that? There obviously in this case, there's some operator effect here. Um, what is it? So what are you trying to measure? Uh, large differences or small differences? So that really matters in, um, you know, what the effect of your measurement error is. So gauge RNR is part of measurement system analysis and the measurement system analysis is uh, split into accuracy and precision. Accuracy is resolution of gauge, linearity, stability, consistency, and bias. Um, precision is uh, repeatability and reproducibility, and that's called the gauge RNR. So accuracy versus precision, I'm sure you all uh, remember this. Um, high precision, low accuracy means that your points are grouped together. High accuracy, low precision means your points average around a specific accurate value. So resolution is the number of digits, say after um, a particular measurement, like calipers can be 0.001 inches, whereas a crude ruler might actually be a quarter of an inch. And either may work just fine for a measurement, depending on what you're measuring. If you're measuring here to the moon, obviously a crude ruler would be more than accurate to do. Linearity, um, that would be something shown here, like a true measurement where um, you have an increase in the value as the measured value comes out. But in this case, you're, you look like you're peaking out at 17 uh, units. So that would be a nonlinear situation. Um, uh, you may have watched the show, um, Chernobyl, and they had 3.6 Rogans or whatever, and that was peaked out, not a linear measurement. Stability consistency. So you may see that maybe your numbers change significantly over time and not a random number, but 
in this case, like an increase in a number. So maybe that could be something like a not enough cooldown time before your measurement or something to that effect. So why would you do gauge RR? You don't, for production, you're having a misclassification of parts. So you would be unnecessarily scrapping or reworking parts um, or shipment of unacceptable products to customers. Now this is for production and we are gonna focus more on gauge uh, gauge r for design, but this is where it began. So the gauge r, r began in a production sense. And just remind us that we have different types of data. Uh, variable um, is a continuous scale like length, height, gap, thickness, torque, speed, hardness, attributes are discrete, cannot be described on a continuous scale, binary, pass, fail, good, bad, go, no, go, ordinal could be low, medium, or high. Now, some um, instances we see in production where we have a variable continuous data that turns into a pass-fail um, data um, that would be an attribute if you can't get, say, the, um, the continuous data. There are three types of uh, gauge RNRs. Um, type zero is a um, is a uh, gauge runner that just repeats the measurements without removing the sample. If you see this picture here, we have a sound measurement of an AC unit um, that say you would hit go um, 20 times or whatever to see if there's any variability in that particular measurement. Um, a type one gauge RNR, say maybe on embedded nails in this below picture, you might remove the, um, the PCB and put it back multiple times, um, say 20 times and measure each time. That's a type one gauge RNR and it'll add the variability of placing the object in the machine um, and taking the data. Now type two is what we usually call gauge RNR as a standard. Um, two or more operators, uh, so you might have two people do it, uh, multiple parts, so you would have 10 or more parts uh, and uh, two or more measurements each, so take it out, do the measurement, put it away. Okay, sorry. Okay, so variation contributors. So we have overall variation, part-to-part uh, -part variation is what we're really wanting to measure. And then there's a measurement system variation and that is the precision or the gauge RNR. And there's a variation due to the gauge, which is uh, repeatability and a variation due to the operator, which is considered reproducibility. Another view of reproducibility versus repeatability, um, variation on the uh, obtained with one measurement instrument several times is the repeatability, whereas a variation in average measurements of different appraisers is the reproducibility. So this is just the sample size operator selection rule of thumb. Uh, people uh, take 10 samples, two or more operators, two or more measurements each, those are called repeats. Um, sometimes you will use more gauges than one. Let's say you have different calipers that you want to put into the measurement. So you're trying to increase the noise 
in the measurement so that you can understand what all the different um, measurement uh, noises are. All environmental conditions, if possible. So some measurements can be affected by weather conditions or um, sunlight or lighting conditions. You may want to put those in. Um, operator selection should be uh, the people that normally take in measurements or, and rep represent the full range of experience levels. So you may be able to tap your operator that um, the operator that just started and some operators that have been there for a long time. So production gauge r, &R we commonly hear that 10% is good and 30, 10 to 30% is marginal. And what does that mean? Um, this is from Automotive Industry Action Group. Now, um, there's not a lot of backup to understanding what those numbers mean. Um, obviously, lower is better. Um, a pass-fail on a gauge R&R doesn't seem to have a lot of uh, backup to it. Like, there's not a lot of literature out there what that means. But um, Wheeler, Donald Wheeler, Dr. Wheeler, put together um, his own evaluation of a measurement system process. And um, his, uh, his assessment is a is a first class, second class, third class, and fourth class monitor. I'll talk about the first two because that kind of relates more to the 10%, the 10 to 30% ranges. So the first class monitor is a under 20% total gauge R&R. You get better than 99% chance of detecting a shift within subgroups. So we're talking about production again. If you have um, 10, subgroups, you will see a shift in the mean um, if you have a pretty decent um, gauge R&R of 20%. A second class, class monitor gives that 88% chance of detecting within 10 subgroups. Now that's only using the first of the Nelson tests, the out of, you know, anything that's outside of three sigma. Um, there's more, uh, uh, you can get more accuracy if you use more of the tests. So I'm going to go through the gauge on our calculations. This is the average and range method. Um, it's not exactly the same as most of our programs that we see out there. Those are usually using the ANOVA method. Um, this is, uh, so we have most chart, most programs show you this chart on the right here. Um, total gauge R&R, reproducibility, repeatability, part-to-part, um, -part, and total variation. We're going to use the top, um, actually, two of those numbers for the design gauge R&R, but um, the repeatability, reproducibility, and operator roll up to the total gauge R&R. These are the numbers that we're going to try to focus on today. So equipment variation is um, uh, is uh, the repeatability portion, the appraisal variation, the reproducibility por portion, total gauge R&R is the all overall part-to-part -part is the part-to-part -part variation and then the total variation. Now, to do the design gauge R&R, we're going to look at number of distinct categories, which is also an output 
commonly from gauge R&R programs. We're gonna calculate it ourselves since we want to get the non-truncated versions. Most of the programs will give you a truncated version of the number of distinct categories. Here is um, some example data that I'm going to uh, look at. So to start with the um, equipment variation, we take the average range of the total mean range. So if you see over on the second to right columns, it's the mean range. So we take the average of that number and we're gonna multiply that by K1, which is um, comes from a chart um, it's based on the number of trials and the number of combination of parts and operators. You pull that from a chart, take the reciprocal of that, and you multiply it by the R, R bar. In this case, we get 0.0112. That is the standard deviation of the equipment variation. So we're looking at standard deviation here. This is the um, appraiser variation. So we take the uh, range of the means, which is um, the rightmost column. We're gonna subtract the big one from the small one, or the small one from the big one. Um, and in this case is the number of parts, R is the number of trials. So we also need to pull K2, which is from the same chart, um, this time we're going to use the number of parts and the number of combination of parts and operators. Um, and that will give us a one over D2 is um, 0.582 in this case. We do the multiplication. We find that um, this actually turns out to be a negative number. Um, we don't use imaginary numbers, so we're going to just call it zero as the programs do as well. So the total gauge on our standard deviation is a square of the equipment variation plus the square of the appraiser variation uh, square root. So um, that comes out to basically in this case, the equipment variation since we didn't have appraiser variation that we could measure. So uh, another um, number we want to look at is the part-to-part -part standard deviation. So we take the X part max and X minus the X part minimum um, to come up with the RP value, and that is 0.33. We're going to multiply that also by um, K3 off the same chart. We're going to use only the number of parts from the first row, and we're going to take the reciprocal of um, D, D2, um, multiply it by the part min part max, get 0 0.0173. In this case, we're going to use it in our number of distinct categories. So we're going to put the part to part standard deviation divided by the total gauge on our standard deviation and multiply it by a square root of two, we get 0.218. The reason I'm not using a NOVA method in this case is because the calculations are a little more difficult to understand. So I'm going through this version. Um, most programs use the ANOVA 
um, I felt like this was a little bit more of a shortcut. Um, a lot of people probably don't really want to get into deep into the details of the calculations anyway. <laughs> right. So design versus production gauge runner. This is the meat of what we wanted to talk about today. Design may or may not have a specification, but in a lot of cases, even if you have a specification, they are rough specifications, something that you may see a specification um, that, that can be adjusted in the future. And we're gonna say, okay, this, um, this specification is from the last model, Let's try to see if it fits that. If it doesn't, then we may adjust it. Um, the goal is to determine difference between designs in most parts. So um, when I've seen design gauge RNRs, let's say we want to use two different glues or whatever. We want to see what the difference between the two different glues are and not um, difference between parts coming off the line. The final measurement I recommend is gauge discrimination. Gauge discrimination is the value that you would say two parts were close to. Let's say if you were uh, your gauge discrimination is 0.1, then 5 and 5.05 are the, basically the same measurement. So um, five and uh, 4.95 would be the same measurement. So that's why we, I would say we would look at gauge discrimination. So we can say, did we measure something significantly different or did we measure something within measurement error of our measurement system? So to calculate the number of, uh, of um, distinct categories, Um, okay, sorry. Um, I'm sorry, let me go back one. Um, we're gonna calculate the number of distinct categories and we're going to calculate the range. So we're gonna divide the range by the number of distinct categories and we're calling that gauge discrimination. Um, here's an example. So we have placards that we've put in a solar chamber. We've measured um, the difference in color, which um, one of the measurements that you can use is the DE94 measurement. It's kind of um, amalgam of different uh, measurements of um, color change. A lot of um, a lot of people use this particular measurement. So in this case, we did um, six different colors of placards. We did yellow, blue, red, orange, green, and navy. So we wanna know, um, is there a, uh, can we measure a difference say between navy and red change? Can we measure a difference between blue and green change? Do we measure a difference between orange and yellow change? So we take the range, so we take the means of, of uh, a specific part, in this case, the navy and the yellow. So we subtract the yellow from the navy and we get our total range of our measurements. I'm going to pull straight from our 
our the our program our project program 4.2.1 and pulling the total gauge r and r on the part to part uh standard deviations and so um dividing the part to part by the total gauge r and r and, and multiplying it by a square root of two we get um 0.854 divided by zero or 0 0.0980 multiplied by square root two, we get 12.43. So in this case, the gauge discrimination will be 0.156. So we're seeing 12.43 distinct categories between the lowest measurement and the highest measurement. And so we can say that um, 3.075 is within 1.56. So therefore those two measurements are not different. And similarly at the bottom, um, I'm sorry, similarly with these uh, blue and green, um, 2.1 is not different than 2.125. Here is using R. Um, you can download R um, directly from r-project.org. You need to set repositories, um, installing packages of Six Sigma and DPLYR to get um, this script to work that I have put in here. So if you want to use R, um, you can pull data from a CSV file, um, and then you run the gauge RNR from that program, that uh, Six Sigma program. The number of distinct categories um, is calculated here um, times the square root of two. So then we also get, can get the range data from that, and then um, calculate the gauge discrimination range divided by the number of distinct categories, and this will write it to a CSV file. Everything in yellow probably needs adjustment um, for your specific use. Uh, the, num the study bear comes out in different, um, uh, different spots sometimes, so you may need to change this 5.1 location. So don'ts for gauge RNR. Um, you can't run a gauge RNR on an environmental chamber. So sometimes I've heard, you know, we need to run a gauge RNR on the hot storage chamber. Um, it's conditioning. So you're not able to say, okay, this chamber passes gauge RNR or fails gauge RNR. Um, you, it only conditions the sample, so you will need to measure the measurement after um, the chamber test or, you know, before and after. It can just be the measurement you can measure. Um, it can be a combination of conditioning and measurement. I found that sometimes that is a different number than um, just, the, just the raw um, just the raw gauge RNR with without having any conditioning. 
So that tails us into the second point here. Gauge RNR is a fairly specific tool, a set of samples for design and gauge RNR. You can sometimes use gauge discrimination on a different product, but beware that's not sometimes translatable. So in one condition that I uh, was just talking about, and we'll show you a little bit later, um, I found that measuring something without the conditioning and with the conditioning was significantly different um, for the gauge RNR. If it's a go no go gauge, it's an attribute gauge, not a variable one. So for reliability, it's really common to have destructive tests. Um, Non-destructive tests are repeatable, obviously, um, and uses the cross gauge RNR. Um, a destructive test has no repeats since it's destroyed and uses a nested gauge RNR. Now that means that all the variation from your part to part is captured in the gauge RNR's repeatability. So um, be aware of that, that you're not able to break out the um, part to part variation. We're talking about trying to use identical parts in a um, gauge RNR. So I'll show you that. This specific um, destructive gauge RNR, this is a charging pod. And um, it is uh, glued along the edge that you see. And the test is to pull up on um, this cable um, in a direction so that we can crack it open and see the strength. A good way to do a destructive gauge RNR is to create parts with defects. So the, in this example, we have the left half glued, the right half glued, the whole thing glued, and then no glue at all. Um, you may even say, have someone come to you with 10 different glues and say, hey, which is the best glue? You can actually use that data to give yourself a gauge RNR come out of there. You may want to find ones that have lower variability than other ones. You may consider that cherry picking, but in a sense, we are looking for the um, we're looking for the variability of the measurement, and therefore, if we pick the ones with the lowest variability, then that is more indicative of the measurement system variation and not the product variation. Here's the calculations for this. So um, I had four parts of each and we had um, two operators. So operator one and operator two do two parts each and we have um, four types of parts. So um, uh, our range is uh, all glue minus um, no glue. So we had 15.47 minus 13.075, we get 12.4 range in pounds. I ran this through R again, um, got the total gauge RR and the part to part so we are going to divide the 5.2525 divided by the 0.278 
and multiplied by square root of two, we get 28. That's our number of distinct categories. Now we divide the 12.4 range, divided by the 28.03, and we get 44 pounds. So our measurement within 0.44 pounds is considered the same measurement. That includes the part-to-part -part variation. We weren't able to remove that because of the destructive nature. But if we see any measurement within 0.44 pounds, say we change blues and say, did that make it better or worse? And it's within 0.44 pounds, we're going to say it's undistinguishable if it's an improvement or a reduction in force. So um, for destructive gauge RNR, what are the assumptions? The assumptions, again, we're talking about um, the variation of the part is uh, negligible. So we are saying that we have no measurement variation, or I'm sorry, no part-to-part -part variation and only measuring the measurement variation. Here's another destructive, destructive gauge R in our example. We had uh, a part that, um, let's say a piece of leather that we were doing a taper abrasion on, we're rubbing um, a wear eraser on the leather. We have a measurement um, at each location. We can do three locations on each part. We can, um, measure once again that particular wear on each part over and over again. So do we consider it destructive or non-destructive? It's kind of a good question. Um, in one way it's destructive, in one way it's not destructive. So you can measure, say, the repeatability of the measurement system only in a cross, uh, in a non-destructive method, but with um, the measurement at each location could be considered a destructive gauge RR. And then you would look at each spot as a part that's been destroyed basically. So my takeaways, um, in production, I would recommend using Wheeler's method. Um, as we said, he has better handle on what it means um, to be, say, 20% gauge RNR or 50% gauge RNR. Um, that seems to have more value to me than to just arbitrarily saying 10% and 30%. Design, I recommend using the gauge discrimination. Once again, we're talking about the difference between two designs. Is this design better than this design? If we have a gauge discrimination, we can say, um, if it's within this value, then no, we cannot determine that it's better or worse. Um, if it's greater or less than that value, then we can say, yes, there is a definite change. For destructive, um, I recommend using intentional defects. So you can say, do different glue amounts. Sometimes you can use um, different trials as part of a gauge RNR. Uh, destructive always overestimates the gauge discrimination and it assumes a normal distribution. 
a lot of our um, tests are not normal distributions, but these um, these measurement the measurements usually are a normal distribution. The noise that's going into the measurement is usually a normal distribution. Um, but be aware of that anyway. This is me again. Um, if you have any questions, you can email me at the Gmail account. And um, questions or discussion. Once again, I did meet 30 minutes. All right, Rob. Um, I do have a question for you and I have the advantage I can unmute my mic real quick here. Um, I remember learning gauge R and R and using the D sub two and K factors and stuff. And it was based on converting ranges to an estimate of standard deviation. Uh, why don't, have you seen anybody using standard deviation directly and skipping that estimate? Um, I have not. Um, um, there, yeah, I've been contemplating that myself. <laughs> um, I haven't seen anything uh, for the gauge discrimination. I use the range. I'm not, I'm not sure how um, a standard deviation could be used in place of, I feel like there is a way we could use standard deviation in place of, but usually we're using really limited number of measurements. So in my case, like one of them was six units. Right. And I don't know the accuracy of a standard deviation with six units. And that was the big one. The smaller ones were like four units. Yeah, without, without getting into the stats theory and stuff, I right. I don't know for sure, but I suspect those tables of the D sub two and K factors and all those kinds of things that do that conversion are, are unbiased estimators to the population standard deviation given very small sample sizes. Mm -hmm. But I don't know exactly how that works or what those calculations are. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, as I said, the R in most programs use an ANOVA method and not the um, range and... Um, well, that still is using estimates of the standard deviation. So it's, right. yeah. it's just a different calculation that's easier for the computer to do. Um, but it's... Anyway, anyway, we got a question from Maximilian there, if you see it on the chat window. Ah. Okay, so um, I pulled the um, the. Let me go on to this. For R, so I did. I am using the Six Sigma package. I did bounce that against some results I had for um, from. I believe jump. So jump and the six sigma package matched um, results. So I'm using the uh, gauge RR values, the, um, let me, this particular set. So I'm using this. And these numbers did match what we saw from jump. So I had two different um, sources that matched. Um, 
take that for what it is. I'm I'm assuming that if you have two, you're pretty good. Um, when I am calculating number of distinct categories, I'm using from the Six Sigma package, I'm using um, the range. I'm sorry, this is um, standard deviation uh, of part to part and the standard deviation of the total gauge R&R. Those two values, I'm calculating the number of distinct categories based on that. Um, those two calculations from the Six Sigma program. So that's my calculation, obviously. And then the range, these are coming from a another the other package that's grouping and pulling um, by color in this case. And it has a, a max and a minimum. And I'm just dividing it. So um, it should, it matches what I've seen. And this one, I can hand calculate pretty easily the range here. And that matches what I had. You know, yep. one of the things I've noticed, Rob, is this gauge on our stuff's it's been around for a long time. Definitely. Uh, you know, and what also surprises me is the few, the, lack of use of gauge RNRs and, and related measurement system analysis. It's, it's, I've learned the hard way over the years that that's where you start. Oftentimes it's, it could be the gauge itself that is causing the problem. Right. Maybe it was because I grew up in a manufacturing site and we were always chasing down, why are we scrapping so much stuff? Yeah. And then find out that we just have the wrong gauge here. It's yeah. you know, like that, that crude router, ruler you showed in one of the images is mm -hmm. pretty close to one of them we were using to try <laughs> to make micrometer measurements. I'm like, okay. Oh, brother. <laughs> I'm exaggerating, but not that right. much. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I, I really, this is actually uh, Wheeler's um, discussion of the past failed methods. This is actually from 2004. So it is rather recent that he's put this book together, um, Dr. Wheeler. So, you know, I give you what, what you from from that. But um, I do find it more compelling to use this in production because of this backup to saying what, what it means. You know, I didn't see anything what it means for AIG's levels. Although I'm sure you could possibly come up with, you know, a different number for subgroups and a different percentage or something, do the same calculation. And um, I considered trying to figure that out, but I had never gotten that far. Um, I did find that, you know, this is, you know, got some kind of basis and what actually you're looking for. Yeah, most of the time I've heard that those you know less than 10 percent is good is is related to the discrimination capability of it um, but i never had a great clear picture of how that was and yeah so yeah and i found that you know pass fail is is um not a valuable answer when you're talking about design because you're talking about a specific gauge discrimination and um, 
that you don't have a specification or a set specification in a lot of cases and that um, you know you just really want to know do I know that this is a different measurement or is it the same measurement yep yeah Ted's got a question there for you okay so in production you're doing uh, measurements of um, You're doing, let me get back to this again. So in production, you're doing mul multiple measurements, obviously. So a subgroup is a day's worth of production. Um, you would have a percent chance to say of detecting a shift within one subgroup, obviously, and then it increases after 10 subgroups to 99% in this case. Um, but when, you, uh, when you're saying detect a shift, that's like, uh, um, control chart is you got right control chart exactly so we're doing a mean we're looking for a mean shift did we what are we doing a gauge or what are we measuring for in production anyway we're looking for a change in our production to say that you know something's changed and we should investigate why it's changed um someone's tool broke let's say and um you would have depending on the size of the change obviously um you would you know be able to see that in an spc chart it's changed significantly in this case he's saying that if you have a 20 less than 20 percent gauge rnr um, a very small change will be detectable at um within 10 subgroups and is that amount of that change similar to the um the size of the unique categories the no whatever that value is i i would believe so um um i'm, I'm sorry i'm reading the chat um or i'm sorry where were we uh <laughs> so when it when it says you can detect a small change what's the what's the quanta that we're after there to yeah um honestly i didn't get deep enough into wheeler's writings to understand that what that is um i would suggest picking up his book it did have a lot of information and uh, a nice um textbook that he had yeah uh, following up on ted's line of thought here is that yeah you want to detect the change sooner than later and there's a range of different, probably the wrong word in this case, but there's a whole bevy of different gate or uh, control chart tools and everything else. They're all contingent on that. You have a measurement system that's not adding a lot of noise to the system. And right. so I think what Wheeler's after here is that if the total gauge RNR is less than 20%, then you can say, well, what risk are you taking to be able to detect a change? And then we, we're off on a tangent or we'll, how much change are we detecting? Uh, but I think Wheeler's got more in it. And there's not a lot of literature on the traditional gauge RNR. Um, I, I mean, I have the old book from the twenties that goes through the process and says it's important, but it never defines why 30, 20, 10 were defined. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I've never start. seen any literature saying why that, that, was, that was defined. Yeah. So David's got a, uh, a request there for you. Yeah, let me go into this specific, um, and this is actually 
all based on a real world example. Um, in this case, and let me review the question. I probably should read the question since we're recording this. Um, can I expand on your comments about applicability of gauge RNR results to other measurement products? In this case, this is a real world condition um, where we did a taper abrasion on a particular um, part. Let's say that uh, in this case, it's let's say it was leather. And um, I did um, a gauge RNR on the leather itself in the measurement system. Let's say the measurement was DE94, so a color change. So um, I did the measurements uh, on that particular leather, multiple spots, multiple different um, pieces of leather. We came up with a gauge discrimination. It was really, really good. Um, and then I took uh, this particular piece of leather, um, multiple of the same piece of leather, let's say that it was not uh, supposed to be any different, let's say cut from the piece, same piece of, of, uh, of same roll. And we did the taper abrasion in three spots on each piece of leather here. Measured the DE94 in those three spots. And I found that there was a lot more variation in, the, in this DE94 measurement after the taper abrasion happened. So I have a bigger gauge discrimination for a piece of leather that is abraded um, with uh, bigger discrimination that it's braided with, say, a wear eraser on a, um, a taper eraser. So this is, in a sense, destructive. I consider each piece that we did three measurements or three uh, wears on um, as one piece and multiple measurements of that one piece. Um, each piece I considered different parts. Uh, so we had um, a larger gauge discrimination after taper abrasion. Uh, your point is that we need to make a decision as soon as possible after the shift occurs, not 10 step groups later. Sure, yeah. Um, I mean, you always wanna make it as soon as possible, obviously. Um, yeah, um, I'm a lower uh, measurement error is always better. You're never going to um, uh, get zero, most likely not get zero. Um, and lower is always better. Um, pass fail usually doesn't do a lot for me in a particular situation. Um, you can look at improving measurement systems um, always, um, whether they pass or fail. Um, the number is interesting in a sense that, you know, I don't think there is um, always a true pass fail in my, in, in my opinion, because, you know, you can always do better or you can maybe, I should say, you cannot always do better. You, you may or may not be able to do better. 
Um, and that just gives you what you have to measure from. Uh, I like to use measurement capability versus true capability charts when accounting for gauge R and R uh, acceptability, which allows for much more lenient gauge R and R criteria for higher measured capabilities. The this is the AIG MSA manual uh, last version I checked. Good, good, good information. Yeah, All my, right. uh, my neighbor is my, uh, I got a note here on Zoom saying, are you playing music now? That's a, a, a sander or a cutter of some sort. My neighbor's replacing their windows and um, <laughs> it's coming through. Um, talk about my microphone picking up on measurement error here. Um, but I I have one note on the AIG MSA one. I was, I have a having been a member of a number of different standards bodies and committees, um, I'm always leery of that, you know, when, especially when it says a more lenient criteria, was that so substandard uh, manufacturers could get their products accepted? Uh, you know, come on, mm -hmm. be careful of anything that comes out of committee. And I only say that because I've been on committees and, and they get anything done it's lowest common denominator oftentimes. <laughs> so I, I, that's a personal bias of mine, definitely is. Uh, but always be cautious of that. It's really focused on what is it that you need? You know, in when doing a gauge r, &R I, I agree with you, Rob, is that less than 10% may or may not be good enough for your particular circumstance. You know, right. it. what are you trying to distinguish? If you're trying to measure um subtle differences do you even have the right way to measure it and and gauge on can give you a criteria saying we can separate to the nearest millimeter well in doing um uh wafer fab the nearest millimeter is just not good enough right, <laughs> right? so yeah. you really is dependent on what you're trying to learn. So before you even start a gauge r, &R is what is it you're trying to understand and what are you trying to, what information are you trying to accumulate by making these measurements? And the, the study helps you to get an insight as to how well that gauge does for you, but it's arbitrary to your particular circumstances. Is it good enough? Right. I mean, I can see also having more lenient um, gauge R and R on things that aren't as critical. Um, like you wouldn't necessarily want to shut down a line um, for a color mismatch, and you might want to shut down a line for something that you know would injure a customer. So. Um, there might be some of that interest in, you know, that might uh, change your numbers as well. You know, what your criticality of that particular measurement is. Um, yeah. yeah, good point. Yeah. <laughs> Carl, he's in the questions tab. All right, he's talking about uh, committee humor. Yeah, um, <laughs> that just comes from real life. I'm sorry, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Um, 
So anyway, uh, let's see, any other questions? Um, I'm gonna go on mute again here because they're getting ready. It looks like they're getting ready to do something else noisy next door. All right. Well, he didn't put down his hammer, but he didn't pick up the skill saw, so that might be good. Oh, and the Maximilian, I thought your question was dealing with medical and what sources it. Um, Gage R&R has got a number of published good sources out there. The AIAG one has all the basic calculations and then explains the different methods. Um, the one I'm referring to, I want to say it's from Western Digital um, or Western Electric back in the 20s or 30s. I can see it on my bookshelf, but I don't have it. If you send me an email, I can send you like three or four different reputable resources for the, the mathematics and processes for gauge r and in the background. And, and Rob, I'm sure you've got a couple of good re references to, to put that out there. Yeah, um, let me answer Taft's question. So um, in Wheeler's article, he has, um, I think I know what you're talking about. Um, he has a specific article that uh, is discussing the AIAG pass-fail levels. So there is generally a three-part pass-fail levels where it's like um, needs to be 10 to 30%, needs to have less than five distinct categories, and um, honestly can't remember the third one. But his, his discussion is saying that you could possibly have one pass and another fail. And so what do you call that a pass or a fail if you have one of the categories passing and one of them failing? So in a sense that Wheeler's article is trying to uh, highlight that the three, three parts of uh, a gauge RNR that they measure as pass fail, um, doesn't necessarily work. I think that's what he's trying to highlight in his article. Um, the number of distinct categories um, for our particular desi design gauge RNR, I think has value in a sense that when you look at, um, and let me go to, um, that one slide. This is a representation of what you might say is the design gauge RR with gauge discrimination. I put 12.4 marks in between here. And so we're saying that if this is, and I don't think I can zoom in. I can zoom in, okay. This little section here is trying to say, is this in this range, they're all, are they all the same? That's what, that's what the, design gauge RNR is, I'm saying that that's what the design gauge RNR is good for, is to say, are we measuring something different or not? And that's um, basically um, why I'm focusing on uh, the gauge discrimination and well, number of distinct well, categories. Well, Rob, is it that, are we measuring something that's really different or not, or is it the gauge is unable to discern whether they're different or not. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Um, 
you're right. It's um, whether the gauge can can tell us that they're different or not. It might be different. You might not. Right. I think that's all the questions. Yeah, I think that's it. And, and as usual, when I'm ready to wrap up one of these webinars, as I completely forget what I've got coming up, but I do have a window open that has uh, Chris Jackson. He's going to uh, talk about what do you see in a probability plot, which I suspect is going to be a, a raft of different plots, and then how to interpret that. But um, we'll see what he actually helps us uh, go after and do. So nice. thanks, Rob, for coming on and, and sharing your insights and some ideas and, and using gauge RNRs and the design process and, and all that good stuff. Uh, the slides are, and the recording will be available hopefully later. Well, it, give me a couple of days. I might get it today, but maybe not. And if you've got follow-up questions or anything else, just let us know. Uh, you can reach out to either Rob or I directly and, and we'll try to get you an answer. Yeah. yeah, thanks, Fred, for having me. Um, that's been enjoyable conversation, too. I'm happy that a lot of people um, talked, uh, brought some points up, um, some things to think about for myself. So that's great. Yeah, perfect. All right. We all learn. We work together and talk about it. So right. All good. Yeah, totally agree with that. All right. Well, once again, Rob, thanks. And thanks, everybody that joined us today and participated. And um, let us know uh, other topics you'd like to, for Rob to talk about or for us to, to include on here. And we'll go from there. So thanks again. And we'll have a great rest of your Tuesday. Thank you.